listeners, and uh, welcome back to Writtenology. We're we're joining you again for a second episode of looking into the peculiar psychoses of the British public. Uh, I'm Milo Edwards, and I'm joined as ever by Nate Bethay. Hello, it's me. Welcome. Thank you so much for listening once again. Um, I before we get into the plot summary, I just have to say that it's always hilarious to me to watch a film for American audiences that tries to depict modern Britain. And while I realize that this film, I think, does better than most in terms of not selling you the sort of like tea and crumpets, twee fucking genteel Britain, it, it definitely doesn't hide the shitness of Britain. Uh, there is so much going on in this film that I feel like we should just jump right into our summary of the 2005 Green Street hooligans or Green Street. I mean, the reason why I picked this film out was I felt like for the for the second episode of Britonology, it really like it really it really behoved us to um, make an examination of the extremely the extremely peculiarly British phenomenon of football hooliganism. Like they have football hooliganism in other countries, but there's there's a particular kind of football hooliganism that exists in Britain, and I think it it warrants a certain kind of uh, analysis, especially because of the kind of cultural uh, weight that it's taken on for some people. Um, particularly in light of the recent uh, Black Lives Matter counter-protest, which was, of course, done by the famous Democratic Football Lads Alliance. Um, I, think it's, I think it's time for a, a deep dive. So just as a quick primer on football hooliganism for uh, the uninitiated, it was like a really big thing from the 70s through the early 2000s, which was when the Premier League began seriously cracking down on it. And there would always be a bunch of guys at every match who were there to have a fight, usually with some added racism if they could manage it. Like, I can remember going to the football with my dad at Tottenham in like the late 90s or very early 2000s, and there were like definitely parts of the stadium that you would like hugely stay away from because that was the bit where there was going to be a big fight and there would be like mounted police there and all that kind of shit. But I, I recall Joel Golby telling a story about watching a England versus Scotland football match and being punched by a man who was like five foot four and covered in tattoos because he wasn't singing God Save the Queen loud enough, even though Joel <laughs> said I was singing it at the top of my fucking lungs. And that He's not to me, fucking good enough. And that to me, that there was another detail in that article where he talked about how uh, a Scottish player scored a goal against England and a guy in front of him was furious and ripped off his shirt in rage. And when he ripped off his Union Jack shirt, you then realize that underneath his shirt was a Union Jack tattoo. And so awesome. he also had a, a Churchill tattoo, a, a bulldog tattoo. Like basically this guy was so fucking patriotic that like he couldn't, there was no way he could not be wearing a Union Jack shirt and that to me, or rather a St. George's cross shirt. And that to me is, uh, is maybe what we're going for here. I'm sad to see that he didn't go for efficiency and get the Churchill, the bulldog tattoo from the insurance <laughs> ads. That would have helped a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, so amongst this, the, the club, the football club that is most famous for football hooliganism is undoubtedly the Southeast London club of Millwall, uh, who are, they're absolutely dog shit at football, like really bad, but all they're known for, like if you support Millwall, it's because you love fighting. Those are the only reason, like they are the only club that I think are still notorious for just having fans who will show up and beat the shit out of anyone they find. Um, I live in Southeast London. I live in Peckham, which is not far, far from Bermondsey. And in fact, if I take the Southeastern train to Victoria Station from my home station, instead of the overground train, I have to pass the Millwall FC Stadium. And it absolutely is still a thing. Uh, they're in, in fact, if you recently saw in the United Kingdom, the news story in which uh, piss drunk anti-Black Lives Matter counter-protester statue protector uh, got in a fight with a bunch of people and was getting his ass kicked and like uh, a kindly black grandpa who also was yoked as shit saved him from the crowd. That guy 
you know, the the spindly racist drunk guy is a retired Met police detective with a huge Millwall tattoo on his leg. That tells you a lot about... Apparently, he went out and drank 16 pints and, you know, got in a fight and whatever, because that's what Millwall fans do. But classic, yeah. it is real is the thing. that Like, this film isn't making that up. It's just... Dramatizing yeah. it a bit. If you if you're spending your Saturday in a Millwall shirt, you're spending your Sunday in a Spider-Man outfit, hanging off of Big Ben to tell Sandra to give you the kids back. Like that is <laughs> that is the vibe of that football club. Um, uh, the last thing I wanted to bring up about this was I just I just clipped the last paragraph of the Wikipedia article about football hooliganism in the UK because I, I feel it just sums up how absurd it all is. Um, in March 2002, the Seaburn Casuals, a Sunderland AFC firm, fought with hooligans called the Newcastle Gremlins in a prearranged clash near the North Shields ferry terminal in what was described as some of the worst football-related fighting ever witnessed in the United Kingdom. The leaders of the Gremlins and the Casuals were both jailed for four years for conspiracy with 28 jails for with 28 others jailed for various terms based on evidence gained after police examined the messages sent by mobile phone between gang members on the day which tells you everything you need to know about these people first of all that they are part of groups which have just like completely absurd like made up sounding names and that they literally text each other being like shall we do crimes (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly um, so I think with that in mind, it's time to talk about the amazing Elijah Wood film, Green Street. Uh, just by way of introduction to this film, I, my take on this film is that it was written by someone who Googled Britain once. <laughs> Fair, yes. So the film starts out, basically, Elijah Wood is a character, he's a Harvard student, he's a journalism student, he's apparently two months away from graduating from Harvard, he has a master's, or his, uh, his, his bachelor's thesis uh, the professor has indicated that he's doing graduate level work and should find should, should get a media job because he's really talented. The thesis his, is about Princess Diana. Yeah, I should point pr- this out. Princess Diana's death and the role of the paparazzi. However, he's getting kicked out of school, and it turns out because his uh, extremely blue blood, politically connected roommate uh, has gotten in trouble. Basically, has was dealing cocaine and blamed it on him and he took the fall for this guy because the guy is so politically connected it sounds like his father is like a senator or a governor or or a house rep or something and as a result uh this this guy who's played uh over the top unctuous stupid harvard guy character he is like the villain in a movie where the hero is a dog (laughs) <laughs> like he's that kind of like overplayed like ooh you can't come into our club. Yeah basically like if you think of any movie like Little Giants like you know children's sports game where the horrible rich kids lose in the end uh basically the horrible captain of the horrible fucking rich kid football team in little giants is this kid once he's gone to harvard yeah also the film opens with this like weird scene where there's two groups of football hooligans torting each other on like the over underground platform and it's just like so completely absurd because they're both like shouting like weird witticisms at each other and then like and then eventually it devolves into a fight as if any football hooligan fight has begun begun with anything other than like oh mate and then just a punch <laughs> being thrown <laughs> yeah so people getting smashed through glass and fists etc like you know extreme violence so anyway elijah wood's character um matt correct me if i'm wrong is it? yeah yeah matt basically decides to go to london to stay with his sister who's married a british guy yeah. the sister lives at bank station by the way now like that's like that's like in america living like i don't know like at fucking like wall street it's just it's like absurd no one lives there it's not a place where people live so basically and the only reason why she lives near bank station is because 
that is where the fight takes place in the first scene. And so invariably Matt has to see the broken glass and stuff because of the football, football hooligans. Yeah. So again, why would a football hooligan fight take place at bank station? No football clubs are there even remotely near bank station. So effectively speaking, he stays with his sister, uh, her, his sis, his brother-in-law comes home. He, he's got a romantic night planned for her with tickets to the musical Chicago, which dates this movie exactly to the early 2000s. Mm. And as a result, he has to hang out with uh, Elijah Wood has to hang out with Pete, uh, his brother, and basically his the brother of his brother-in-law, who it turns out is the leader of the Green Street Empire football firm. However, yeah. I, what I love is that when he comes into the so he just shows up at the house. Because he wants to, like, borrow money off of his older brother because he's, like, a deadbeat football hooligan. And uh, they're, like... wife the like the guy so like matt's sister is like carrying their like one-year-old son and he just comes over and starts singing west ham till i die into this like one-year-old's face long just to ram home like this man is football (laughs) one of the things also that was interesting to me is just the fact that i mean we'll get into this later about who his brother-in-law is but his brother-in-law has this very like uh, they're, they're living in an incredibly posh home and they seem to be incredibly well off but also his brother has this very like oh my English kind of fucking vibe to him and so yeah. that seemed a little bit incongruous until you figure out what happens later anyway long story short he fobs Matt off with Pete Pete says I'm just take give me half the money I'm gonna go see football uh matt convinces him to take him to go see football by trying to fight him yeah it's weird they go to they go to the pub he meets the people apparently being being american is bad in if you're a west ham fan there's a weird intermediary part where like pete tries to teach matt cockney rhyming slang which like i can't really explain to you enough how like cockney rhyming slang is like not a way people talk anymore yeah like it's like it's like how my grandmother talks but it's not like it's not how your average like East End football hooligan would talk. No, not at all. And also, I'd say, too, maybe we should just do a, a brief digression at this point. Because one thing we have to talk about, if we talk about the unreality of the Cockney rhyming slang and like the, the general sort of vibes, if this film is taking place in, in 2004, which it is in terms of you, you watch the CCTV footage as sort of like a picture-in-picture kind of thing as part of the, the way it's shot, and it's supposed to be 2004. So, two things. Number one, that's not how people were talking then or now. And the other, Charlie Hunnam, who's from Newcastle, cannot do a Cockney accent. Oh boy, can he not. He sounds Dutch throughout this film. It's like, yeah, mate, you got to learn about the, uh, you got to give me the, uh, give me the bees, mate. And then the, the guy's <laughs> like, what are, what are bees? Oh, you fucking yank, it's bees and honey, money. <laughs> it's like full, full board Dick Van Dyke shit. So I, I did a little bit of digging. Charlie Hunnam is from Newcastle. He went to university in Carlisle. Uh, his mother is a, 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 a ballerina, like like a very like a accomplished ballet dancer. So this isn't. I don't think this is a case of because there is obviously a, a tendency in the UK where if an actor is is extremely not privileged, that like they'll rip on them for not being able to do stuff like this. When in fact, okay, if you go to like the Royal Academy of Arts, like you get trained to fucking do a lot of accents among other things. So I don't think this is a case of this. I think this is just a case of Charlie Hunnam not wanting to fucking do the accent, and boy, can he not do the accent? Oh boy, yeah. There's a part where he reaches out to him and goes, and for fuck's sake, stop saying soccer. Now, the, the, the thing for me is that it was rubbing me slightly the wrong way, but it wasn't until Milo confirmed it to me that I was like, oh, wow, he's not convincing at all. Like, this is 
This is a bit no. off. Most of the other characters are convincing because they're all like London uh, London actors. Like Mark Warren, who plays the brother-in-law, is like he's... Well, I think he's from Northamptonshire, but I think he's he's like lived in London for a long time. Like they're all like... They're all kind of Southern actors at least-ish. Um, whereas, yeah, like I can imagine if you grew up speaking fucking Cumbria... She's like, all right, Carlisle. Like, you're going to struggle to do a Cockney accent. Like, I can, I can or believe Or fucking that. Newcastle is where he's from. So can yeah. you imagine, like, that fucking accent? Anyway, yeah. so they go, they go to the pub, and Matt manages to grow on these people, and generally, like, you know, they then, he convinces them to go actually see the football. They, they go, their friend... Um, Before which there's a scene where in the pub, they're all, like, drinking and singing football chants, and it gets to such a crescendo that they're all just, like, literally throwing beer all over each other, and, like, it gets, like, a weird, like, homoerotic wet t-shirt contest kind of vibe, which, again, I don't think that's what people do in British pubs. Probably not. Like- <laughs> Let's just say probably not. So, anyway, they, uh, they, then, they then go to the football. Their friend, uh, Bover, who uh, apparently works in, in press for the football, manages to go and, like, insult a bunch of the Birmingham fans with some racism taunts calling black fans Zulus and uh, then they tell Matt to fuck off basically to avoid the fight he's going to go back on his own he he then gets caught in the street by a couple of Birmingham fans they they start trying to kick his ass uh, but then it turns out that the the Green Street Empire guys knew this was going to happen and followed him and then beat the shit out of these Birmingham fans they try to get away in a van or like that the, they've hired, but then another fan throws a brick through the windscreen. So they then beat his ass, but in the end they wind up kicking everyone's ass and they win. So he then yeah. goes back to the pub and celebrates some more. Yeah, Cause they get set upon by this like then much larger group of Birmingham fans. And then like uh, Matt is going like, Oh God, I'd, I'd better go. And he's like, what are you talking about, mate? You can't go now. You got to fight. We stand our ground and fight. And he's like, but I don't know how to fight. And he's like, just think of something you ate. And then he just starts like windmill through these yeah, guys and just, at one point he fully headbutts a guy in the dick <laughs> that was my favorite part yeah so apparently uh, elijah wood's character matt despite being basically a kind of a pushover uh discovers he's actually good at fighting or good enough at fighting to be able to go and throw some punches land some punches and then go to the pub after they do critique his punching style as gay of kind course. of gay yeah, yeah exactly they then uh go to the pub they drink more and then the next morning he comes back to his sister's place to get his stuff because he's going to crash with pete they get in an argument with uh with his brother and he basically storms off and you realize that there's some frustration with his brother uh vice pete being a football hooligan mm. firm leader yeah, um, there's also that bit where uh, Pete, I think that happens slightly before that, where Pete takes him to get a full English breakfast on his hangover, and then he starts explaining what a football firm is, and he's like, you know, it's a firm, like, we beat up the other fans, and he's like, you know, he starts going through, like, the different football clubs, and who has a good firm, and who has a shit firm, and stuff, and he's like, and then there's Millwall, he's like, the West Ham-Millwall rivalry, it goes back years, it's like fucking Israel-Palestine. <laughs> 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 I really, that was the point where I wrote, where is Pete from? He sounds fucking Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically, what moving through very quickly, they Matt slowly ingratiates himself with the rest of the firm, except for Bover, who distrusts him. And as things go on, um, you know, he gets more and more integrated with them. He also mm. goes with Pete to his place of work. He is a a school teacher. And he basically, PE in history. He teaches PE in history. Um, he brings Matt out to play goalkeeper for a bunch of ten year old kids who, who who completely destroy him at football because he's better. They, they you know apparently just being English makes you good at football. Mm. Um, 
just for being English exactly. these days. And so um, this all this all culminates basically in two things. I would also I would add that that is the most realistic part of the film that like some absolute moron would be teaching you both PE and history. That is like <laughs> that is the British education system down to a T. So long story short, two things happen. We didn't talk about this previously, but when when Matt got kicked out of Harvard, he tried to call his dad, who's like a famous investigative journalist. His dad was reporting from Afghanistan and was unavailable. Like he had he had uh, he went to his voicemail, but then his dad shows up in London and convinces him to at least go with him to get lunch with an editor from the Times. In the same period of time, they announced that... It, I, I don't know what the technical thing is, but that there's going to be matchups between different football clubs. And mm. it turns out that it'll be the first time in 10 years that West Ham has gone head-to-head with Millwall. So they're all celebrating because they're excited to get the chance to beat the shit out of Millwall fans. Yeah. And, uh, but then one of, the, one of the firm members is a bike messenger, and he spots Matt and his dad at the Times building and tells Bover, who had, through the entire film cannot stand Matt and doesn't like him and basically makes it very obvious that he wants him to fuck off. Because he hates the fucking Yanks. Yeah, exactly. Um, he, he, he hates Americans, which I mean, okay, yeah. fine. The, there's also weird, so there's some stuff that happens in between that. I think another important thing, there's like a weird current through this film that is never like explained is that the thing that people in football firms hate most of all is journalists. And like, I feel like that is purely a plot device because- He's a journalist. Yeah. And like, I don't think there's any evidence. They're like, look at this. Like, the West Ham won 3 0, and all they're reporting about is the fight we got into. It's like they would absolutely love their fight being on the front page of the newspaper. Like, what are you like? That is exactly the kind of psychosis that these people have. Um, and in between all of that stuff, there's a bit where, like, um, so Bova goes to Millwall to, like, eat some disgusting food in a greasy spoon and, like, has an argument with, like, the lead Millwall guy about the fact that they have this American guy in their um, and the Millwall guy like fucking like beats up some random guy in the cafe because his girlfriend won't stop talking. Um, and then they go to Manchester for an away game and like Matt sneaks on the train. They don't want him to go. And then one of the guys who's already in Manchester, who's wearing an RAF uniform for some reason, like advises them they shouldn't get out of the station because there's going to be an ambush. So they get off like apparently 12 miles away they from Manchester. They get up in Macclesfield. And they, 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 by they, pressing the emergency yeah, stop yeah, button. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Barber smashes the emergency stop. They get off the train in Macclesfield. They, um, what's his name? Um, like they steal a decorating van. Well, no, they 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 pay the driver because that's the thing. Oh, okay. you, you hear him say that like they 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 pay the driver and they just say, hey, just give us, you know. They drive up to the thing. Um, Matt convinces them it's an American film crew, and then they pull up past where the ambush is supposed to happen, run and open the van and let the driver go. They all come out, beat the shit out of these guys, and then run away while the cops come and arrest a bunch of them. So they've routed yeah. the the ambush of the uh, of the Millwall fans. So the Manchester United fans in that case. Yeah, it's like a very weird... Uh, yeah, because this happens in Manchester. Yeah, you're right. I was just wondering who that guy was. Because was, for some reason, I thought that guy whose ass they kicked is the same guy that he was talking to in the Millwall, the diner in South no, London. No, it's like another guy for, who's Manchester who really hates them because of some previous other thing that is like glossed over and Yeah, yeah, quickly. fair, fair, fair. What I didn't understand about that scene is like, oh, these guys, they're going to they're gonna ambush us at the train station and beat the shit out of us. So like, we can't go to the train station or we'll get the shit beaten out of us. And then all they do is get off the train and then drive to the train station and and then still fight the guys. So, like, why not just get off the train? And, they didn't gain any tactical advantage, but like, I mean, in the, in the only advantage they had was basically not getting caught by the cops or getting caught in the in the like the the foyer of the fucking the station. They then they just come around mm-hmm. the back of them. That's about it. 
then they get away. And <clears throat> so this is sort of like the big coup that has made uh, Matt, you know, fully a member of the firm. Mm. And then uh, Bob, Bobber rats him out, basically. And they go to Pete's place. They go through his shit, or they go through Matt's shit. They find his uh, his master's or his thesis. They figure out he's a journalist. They figure out that he's been writing this journal about them. And so, as a result, uh, they've decided that he's actually an investigative journalist undercover, and he's trying to blow the lid off them. So, what happens is because um, because of the fact that uh, that the brother has figured out what's going on. And he goes down to the pub to grab Matt and talk to him. And the, throughout the entire film, they've been talking about like their storied former leader named the Major. Mm. And then he grabs him. And he's like, "We're going to talk outside right now." And he starts walking him out. And then someone basically rings the bell, and there's a toast to the Major because the brother is the Major. He's just gotten out of the game, basically. That's like the big reveal. Yeah, exactly. And so he he was once the leader of of Green Street Empire, but now uh, he's 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 gone legit. And so what happens is at the same time, they, 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 they start, the, the, the guys who have been clued into the fact to include Pete start beating up Matt because they think that he's an undercover journalist. At the same time, Bobber has gone back to the Millwall pub to tell the Millwall guys what's going on and tells them also that uh, the major is in the Green Street pub. So they all go out there to, to beat his ass. They bring- yeah, there's, basic, there's like a bit of backstory here, which is that that gets revealed where like um the, the so the major or Steve is like was he's like yeah I got out of the game ten years ago because I got into a got into a really tasty scrap down at Millwall, and then it cuts you get these like flashbacks to ten years ago where it it looks like the 1980s, like it's supposed to be 1995, but they all have like mullets and they're like they're just like what was ten years ago like in Britain? Steve I don't know. Looks like Jimmy. Savile. That's the <laughs> he has really long hair and he looks like Jimmy Savile. It's amazing. But anyway, and basically the guy, the Millwall guy's 12-year-old son gets beaten to death by a West Ham fan, which seems I don't feel like you would beat a 12-year-old boy. I feel like even football hooligans wouldn't would kill a child. Probably not do that. And also if they had, like they'd all go to prison for basically fucking ever. Yeah. So like, these are not smart like they're not organized crime. Like a lot of this movie, it spends a lot of time acting as though these guys are like the fucking sopranos or something. And like so they keep getting away with all these crimes they commit. Like there's various points where they like steal cars and stuff, and it's like you wouldn't just get away with that unless you like really knew what you're doing, which these people do not. They are like literally some guys from down the pub. <laughs> exactly. And so long story short. They then, in this confrontation, the Millwall guys show up. They bring Molotov cocktails. They try to set the pub on fire. They literally, they jump through the window. Yeah, they break like, through the windows. They, like like they're the fucking SAS or some shit. It's, yeah. And one the, the leader of the Millwall hooligans stabs Steve in the neck with a broken bottle. So, in the, in the resulting, basically, punch up outside, they are able to get Steve out. They steal a car. They take him to the hospital. He's expected to survive. Which is called the East London Hospital, yeah, was, which is not a real hospital. Yeah, not a real hospital. I was wondering, I was, I was wondering if they were going to take him to the, uh, the, Royal, the Royal College of London Hospital, the one that's right down the street from our studio. But no, they did not. They took him to a fictional hospital. And um, what winds up happening is, it was revealed previously, Steve said he got out of the game because once he married, uh, he married Matt's sister, he, she said she would leave him if he ever got back into football hooliganism. Because of this, she's decided to leave to go back to the United States. Yeah, he's in like the twelve-step football hooliganism. Yeah. He's like, "Oh no, I can't touch a, I can't touch a, I can't touch a football match." 
I've got to slip back into me old ways. But he talks about hearing the roar of the crowd and really wanting to go back in and just beat the shit out of people. Yeah, because like, oh, sometimes you get the taste. <laughs> it's amazing. So anyway, after this happens, um, Pete tries to get Matt to go back with his sister. And Matt says he's going to because they also say, like, this isn't your fight. Like, you don't want anything involved with this. And they set up, like, a scrap to take place prior to the game that's going to happen, the, the match between uh, West Ham and Millwall. Yeah, the whole the whole Millwall game thing ends up being a complete red herring. Like the game does not take place in the film. They end up just fighting the Millwall fans anyway, way before the game is because like the FA because it's an FA Cup draw and like there's a bit where they're all listening to the FA Cup draw and like the FA Cup draw takes place ages before the game starts. So like this game would have been like at least a month away when they announce it. And so yeah, it, it just never happens. It's like a pointless plot point that does nothing basically. But but then uh, the fight does happen, Matt absconds from his sister's place he goes down to the joins the the crowd they decide to go have the fight in the fight he winds up uh people are brawling beating the shit out of each other uh, the the leader of the, the the Millwall hooligans pulls out an asp like a collapse a telescoping metal baton and starts beating the shit out of Matt um, and he like breaks his arm yeah so then they have to go and like rescue Matt and then like Bover shows up. This yeah. is after the previous scene. Bover is like having a mental breakdown on Tower Bridge for some reason. Because he's been kicked out basically because they because the Millwall guys, once he led them to the pub, they called him a grass and they just broke a bottle over his head. And then it's revealed that he he he's once once Pete figures out that he grasped them up to the Millwall people, he says, fuck you, you know, never come back. And then so Bover decides to, you know, wrestle with his demons by drinking an entire bottle of vodka on Tower Bridge and sleeping on a park bench. Yeah. Truly a British energy. And a then, vodka called Sputnik as well, which I really enjoyed. <laughs> they didn't want they didn't want to endorse Stolichnaya, so they wound up getting a uh, a fake brand of vodka. And then he uh he 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 shows up in the nick of time. He is able to he there once Matt's sister shows up in the Range Rover trying to get him out of there with the baby and then incredibly smart just take just take your fucking toddler in your Range Rover to like the oh, the lads having a fight and uh, the, the Millwall guys try to go after her Bobber yeah. basically steps in to like beat this guy's ass and, and get 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 them away from him in the process <laughs> one goes just he's banging on the window of the Range Rover going get out of here you slack <laughs> I, was, I was like fully crying at that point oh no, yeah like I it was incredible and um, Pete basically taunts the leader to get him away from the the Range Rover. He basically starts taunting him about his dead kid. They then they then scrap, and the Millwall leader winds up beating Pete to death while singing a nursery rhyme. Yeah, exactly. As though that's something you would do. Normal. Uh, Pete and his or Matt uh, Matt and his sister and the baby get away. Yeah, and I should also point out slightly before this happens, there's that bit where he draws the baton, right? But then what happens is, is like kind of revealed that all of the Millwall guys have like sneaky weapons, which I guess is supposed to paint them as like a more evil group of football hooligans. And they're all like wearing matching Slazenger polo shirts, which again, one of the few accurate things like, yeah, Donne, Slazenger, the brands of football hooliganism, dare I say it, uh, Sergio Tacchini, <laughs> like anything that you could buy in Sports Direct, like <laughs> absolutely motherfucker. Now okay. I'm feeling really weird about all the times I've walked mm. around going down the shops in like my Slazenger track trousers and wondering if people are thinking like, <laughs> who is this cunt? And then someone and someone hits Matt with a knuckle duster. Yeah. And after that, he's like, oh, it's on now. And he just like picks up like a big piece of metal that's on the floor and just starts like going hog at them. With a, and I'm like, it's like, people are gonna die. <laughs> like, this isn't like you so, can't just hit people with a fucking metal girder. So basically at the end, what happens is Pete has died. 
Mm. And Matt and his sister leave. All the get- football hooligans, including the Millwall ones, form this like weird honor guard around his body with their little Don A caps on, like looking down solemnly at his body as though they've like they've realized like you know man's inhumanity to man it's or something. It's shit. basically the last scene of fucking Gladiator. And yeah. uh, and and then <laughs> Who will help me carry him. And then the, the 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 sort of coda to the film is that Matt uh, Matt goes back to Boston. And he sneaks up on his former roommate who wait, has- Wait, 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 Before this yes. is the best part of the entire film. No, no, I, film. I wasn't going to forget that. Don't worry. <laughs> that is that his roommate, who's a big cokehead idiot, who's like an investment banker, is in some private club in Boston with his idiot friends. And they're telling him, congratulations on the Epstein account. Uh, At that point, my, my third eye was all the way open. Like, well, this is like, uh, the, the, what, did, what did the makers of Green Street know? <laughs> anyway- he then conf- the, the guy goes off to the bathroom to go do cocaine and um, Matt Matt shows up and basically is like in his weird meek former way basically being like you told me you'd hook me up you know cause I took the fall for you and you know the guy's just being a bitch or being an asshole to him and he's like fine 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 yes okay I, I, I get it I'll just call my assistant whatever I'm in a meeting and he, as he's doing cocaine and then um, calls him spineless etc but then Matt plays back that conversation he's recorded with a tape recorder and the guy's like what the fuck and he's like oh this is this is this is my golden ticket to get back into harvard thanks and the guy acts like he's gonna try to fight him and matt's like oh i wouldn't do that and then trips him and basically throws him down and is about to throw a punch and you realize that uh, matt has now learned how to fight and so this guy cowers in fear and matt walks away and as he's walking away starts singing the uh whatever fucking one of the, oh, the west- forever blowing bubbles yeah, which yeah, yeah, is, yeah that is at least a genuine thing that west ham fans do sing i don't i don't really know why i don't know what the origin of it is because it's it's like it's a very weird kind of like nursery rhymey song that bears no relation to football or beating the shit out of people. So anyway, that's the end. The film is concluded. Matt has become a bigger person. Uh, he just had to experience the 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 truly hardcore but also deeply honorable life of being an English football hooligan. The end. Yeah, because there's these there's these weird parts like throughout the film where, but like not often enough for it to be kind of. Uh, like i don't know aesthetically justified where randomly after half an hour of no voiceover at all there'll suddenly be a bit of voiceover from matt doing like some weird like philosophical shit like there's a bit when he goes to britain where he was like i'd been kicked out of harvard but i was about to learn something no ivy league school could teach me (laughs) the the difference between a slag and a fucking cunt <laughs> My yeah. favorite bit is after the after the Manchester fight. There's like this scene where like he's like spiked his hair and put up a put on a polo shirt, thereby becoming English. <laughs> um, and so he's like he's like in the pub and he's doing this voiceover and he's like, news about the scrap in Manchester spread far and wide. People said it was bigger news than the death of Princess Diana. And it's like, what? I assure you, that was not the case. No, like, but guys, uh, drunk football fans have fight in Manchester. <laughs> Nation mourns. However, you do know for a fact that Dave Courtney found out, and he's like, hey, "It's a flat nose geezer, or eh?" Because Dave Courtney, Dave Courtney knows all of the crime underworld of London, so he understands that Matt is now an up and coming person, and he's he's willing to make an exception for that fucking yank. Yeah, I don't know how Dave Courtney would feel about football hooligans. I don't know whether they're like. Uh, I feel like you know the, the the sort of the wannabe gangster types would feel themselves slightly above the football hooligans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. It's hard to be a football hooligan when dressed head to toe in like all white silk suits with a cane for some reason. Yeah, which geezer's noses aren't even fucking flat. <laughs> So this is one of the other things is like a lot of the like football hooligan guys are like not even big or intimidating like some of them are but like one of the things that this film definitely glosses over a lot is like the extent to which if someone is like 20 kilos heavier than you you're not going to beat them in a fight it's just not it doesn't matter how good you are at fighting they're just going to fucking sit on you (laughs) (laughs) yeah fair and as a result 
I would say we can we can now conclude the plot summary and talk perhaps about things we liked and disliked. And I'll I'll go I'll go very quickly. I'll just say I liked the fact that this was at least given some degree of like location treatment that it was shot in the places where it takes place and they did get some details right that an american film about britain probably wouldn't uh there was at least enough of a let's say a british english partnership with regard to like how the plot is structured that there are some huge dumb mm-hmm. things that wouldn't happen but there are other things that it does actually catch the stuff with the school like you said that an idiot like him would be a fucking school teacher <laughs> um the le- like the the detail about the cctv although that feels like a dumb headline bit the fact that like there's cctv everywhere in the uk like that is absolutely a thing and that was a relatively new thing in 2004 uh, and also i think that there is you do actually kind of get there are some location shots and things that make it seem more like the stuff that's set at harvard a lot of Harvard film or films set in Harvard are actually filmed at Brooklyn College because the campus looks similar and it's way cheaper to film at Brooklyn College than it is to film in Cambridge. I think this is the case. The stuff that was filmed in Harvard doesn't feel authentic to anything about Massachusetts at all. Whereas the stuff in South London, for example, I mean, living in living in South London, I, I have never gone to a Greasy Spoon in Bermondsey, but I have you know, gone to places in and around you know, Peckham, Nunhead, Dulwich, etc., where I live. And a lot of the stuff that was filmed on location feels authentic to the UK. Yeah. I mean, I cannot express enough how grim the food Bovra is eating in the greasy spoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I couldn't even really understand what it was supposed to be. There was, there was certainly a pie and there was gravy, but there was also like beans. And some kind and- of weird green chutney or something. And they, they of course, yeah. they were the, 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 the football hooligans refer to the owners as by a, by a racial slur. So you get the impression that this is an Indian place, but it's serving... Uh, or a Pakistani place, but it's serving shitty English food. So who even knows? Yeah. But I do feel like one of the things that I would I would I would say is this this it reminds me of the film Eastern Promises in some way, in the sense that Eastern Promises is a much better film. But Eastern Promises, no one has a proper English accent. <laughs> Eastern Promises is also a film where like it over exoticizes its subject matter, but it at least depicts the place in which it's set pretty well. And that's the thing I think is true. Like the, the football hooligan plot is completely jumped up and absurd. But in terms of capturing sort of the, the general feel of, of London, I think it does a pretty good job of that. I would also say, okay, Charlie Hunnam's accent might suck, but I do feel like he, he, he's convincing as that character. Yeah. I think he does a very good job of being like having gotten to where he is by just being charismatic. And that comes across very well. Like, I think, I think there's there, you do get the sense of like the, the, the chemistry between the two actors. There is a sort of like genuine feeling of like fellowship between him and Matt that I think is very well done. And I'd also say that I, I feel like coming into it, this isn't necessarily like th- this would give you a lot of really stupid and wrong impressions about football hooliganism. But I do think at least this is a more accurate portrayal for an American film than something like fucking Euro trip, for example. So mm. if you have to choose between the two, I feel as though this at least is, is truer to the subject matter than other American films set in England that I've seen. But I mean, that doesn't mean it's necessarily true by any means. What I didn't like, uh, huge plot holes, weird oversimplifications, and just generally like stuff happens in the nick of time to either save the characters or imperil the characters. And it's always by coincidence. And that to me mm-hmm. is just like the hallmark mm-hmm. of weak storytelling. There are so many other ways that, for example, they could have found out that his background was in journalism, that he lied about it uh, versus his dad showing up and them going to the times and them happening to be seen by somebody in the firm. Yeah. Like we're just hanging around, hanging around outside the office of the times newspaper as football hooligans are want to do. <laughs> exactly. 
Um, yeah. Also, like, yeah, there, there's so many like odd plot points in it where like all of these guys who are like football hooligans have like really normal lives, which is just like not. Just yeah, not I mean, the case. Charlie living in or correction, Charlie. Um, Pete living in a fucking squat basically seemed pretty true to life, but him having an actual regular job seemed a little bit weird. But then, like you said, like the one guy having like apparently being an RAF pilot. Yeah. Or a, or a, well, I guess he was an. He was like, I think I get. He looked like he was like a corporal or something. So he probably wasn't a pilot. But like, yeah, like there's all this kind of like weird. Um, a lot of them have like weirdly like normal jobs and stuff. Whereas I feel like if you're a football hooligan, like, yeah, you're not gonna be. You're not gonna be in the RAF and be a football. I don't. I don't think you could get away with that. I don't think they would allow you to spend all weekend every weekend just being pissed <laughs> and like getting into fist fights. Like just showing up to the army every day with like a huge fucking black eye. Um, and it's uh, yeah it's very strange in that regard like the way in which that the football hooligans appear to be sort of preposterously well organized to an almost like criminal degree where they're committing like serious crimes and getting away with it um, but to like not really getting involved in any like actual profitable criminal enterprise like just in the just in the name of getting in honorable fights with other guys with like fucking George Cross tattoos so I'm wondering, Milo, do you do you have things you liked and disliked that you could like tick down on the list? Well, I mean, what I did enjoy about the film was just like how absurdly kitsch it was. Like there was an extent to which just like it, it would have I would have believed it if at the end of this film it was just like this guy just had a fever dream about Britain and just hadn't <laughs> hadn't really gone at all because it's so it's so bizarre and dreamlike like the idea that this American guy who's like a nerdy Harvard guy who's like five foot four would show up and then suddenly like become a football hooligan and enjoy it. It's like really, really bizarre in that respect. And also like that it I feel like it kind of it had this an almost slightly charming misunderstanding of like what British people are like in the respect of just like everyone's using this like incredibly opaque rhyming slang like some of it I didn't even know and like this is like again this is like how my grandmother talks but like there's this bizarre bits where he's like in the pub and he's like oh but he doesn't even know what the apples and pears are and it's like no one says that like there's not like that is technically real rhyming slang but like no one said that since like 1962 like it's just not a thing there's a part of me that wonders if maybe the stuff about the stuff set in America that seemed oversimplified and weird is how I, if I grew up in Britain, would feel about the stuff that's set in Britain. But because, like, even mm. though I live here, like, I've only lived here for less than two years, uh, it, I can tell when stuff is grossly inaccurate, but when it's, like, the general ambiance still feels completely fucking wrong, like, I wouldn't pick up on that. Mm, yeah, and and there's, like, I think one of the things I found weirdest about it is that there's this, there's this continual, there's this continual obsession with two things, which is, like, we hate journalists and we hate Yanks, which is just, like, a weird, like, of all the things that football hooligans would hate, it's just, like, weird things to pick out. I haven't really met any British people that really deeply hate Americans. I'm sure there are some, but, like, as, unless you're mm. a fucking asshole, like, unless you, you go into it extremely Americanly and just are a prick about everything and being, like, inferior, like, unless, unless you do that, and I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I do that online all the time, but for me, it's, it's, less, it's less like, oh, the houses look like shit and more like, this is a country of psychos ruled by fucking inbred caterpillars. That, I mean, <laughs> and, and I found that most, most British people agree with me, so, yeah, in that regard. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that that first scene where they go to the where they go to the pub and everyone's like, oh, he's a fucking yank, look at this prick. Whereas, like, I feel like a much more realistic depiction of that would have been all of these people who've probably, like, never left Britain except to go to, like, a fucking holding pen in Benidorm are probably, like, they're going to be, like, fast 
fascinated at meeting an American because they probably never have before. So probably be like, oh, do you have? Do you all have guns over there? Then is it like they, <laughs> they would probably be like obsessed with him and hanging off his every word? That would be more what I would imagine in that scenario. Yeah, like I said, I've I've never. I mean, I, like I said, I know there's there's some British people that really don't like Americans, but it's it's I've never had somebody be, you know overtly shitty to me just because i'm an american i think if people are overtly shitty to me it's probably because just of my own incredibly toxic personality so mm. in that regard i can't blame them but i felt like that was overstated and uh i i don't know why that was in there other than to have a sort of like mini redemption arc then mm. he's he's the american who winds up being more of a football hooligan than the actual football hooligans yeah. which okay um, winning, winning the football hooligan war all by himself. Also, I find it weird that the, the villain, the the, the 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 Harvard villain, is a huge cokehead, and nobody in in, in the, the 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 hooligan clubs fucking does coke. When have you met fucking football yeah. hooligans? Have you been to Britain? Yeah, yeah like, exactly. Absolutely doing coke in the toilets of that pub. Um, yeah, that, that's another weird thing, isn't it? Like the way it kind of like it romanticizes football hooliganism as this kind of like honor among thieves. It's about the lads and having an honest scrap sort of thing. But like, when, like in real life, literally the anti Black Lives Matter protests in Britain are all football hooligans. Yeah, it's just like getting getting extremely drunk and taking out your rage about your ex wife on some other guy who's also angry at his ex wife. Like it's, it. it it imputes a degree of sort of like I don't know chivalry organization yeah and also like completely takes all the racism out of it like for some reason all of the Birmingham football fans are black all, or almost all of the Birmingham football hooligans in the film and it's like football hooliganism is like really really white there's like, a reason why they're so tied in with like the EDL and Britain, Britain first that I mean the, the, to me one of the biggest sort of if you want to call it flubs was the idea that in the final scrap there were a bunch of black Millwall hooligans. Like, if you know anything about Millwall, yeah. they are famous for being the most racist of the football hooligans or the football clubs. Like, that is just not... I mean, recently with the stuff with the guys, the, the statue protector shit, I've been noticing a lot of commentary online from black British people who have talked about, you know, if you, if you grew up in Bermondsey in the 80s and 90s, if you saw a group of guys coming down the street looking like those people, you knew you had to run for your fucking life because that is what they were out to do was beat the shit out of, of South Asian and black people. Like, yeah. that's what that connotes. And so the idea that that just is never addressed or if it when it does happen, it's simply just bother calling them a bunch of black Birmingham fans Zulus. Like, yeah. Well, there's another there would bit be other he, words he would use, and yeah, yeah. And there's another bit where he calls them northern monkeys, which I think, if you didn't know, would sound like a racial slur, but is like a southern slur for northerners. But, but also, they're from Birmingham, Birmingham, which is like, I mean, I guess, I guess, like some southerners, especially to take the piss, might consider Birmingham the north. But the whole thing, the whole thing is just like weird and kind of glosses over, like, yeah, yeah. The idea of making a football hooligan film where they're not racist. Is seems like you don't know football hooligans. Yeah, like we we actually we have a, a complex system of asking everyone their pronouns before we get into a scrap <laughs> down here. We believe we believe passionately in beating people up regardless of their race, gender, creed, or other religious beliefs. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's that is a hundred percent AC Livorno. I don't know if you know about this, but there's an extremely hard left football hooligan firm in Italy that follows the the team from Livorno or what people used to call Leghorn. And they are like, to, to describe Livorno's fans, um, <laughs> there was a moment when there was some fucking Italian equivalent of the Premier League match where they did a moment of silence for Italian soldiers who had recently died in Afghanistan and the Livorno fans were like, fuck the troops, fuck baby killers. Like that was the level of, they are absolutely football hooligans, but they're basically Antifa. 
Damn. That does exist, but it's rare. It I, certainly doesn't I, exist in the United Kingdom. I love the idea of like like psychotic, like moving moving from like you know like uh, the fucking uh, I don't know like the woke KGB or whatever it is that Brendan O'Neill's worried about, but moving into like the 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 woke football hooligans who are like we've got we've got ten thousand blokes and fifty thousand genders. <laughs> I we'll love the idea. I mean, yeah, because Lavorno, Lavorno fans will um they like their big thing is if they if they. It, if they're they can't fly their flag or whatever they'll fly the palestinian flag and stuff like that like they are an extremely left-wing football club but i mean while that does exist i feel like uh that does not jive with my experience of anything related uh, it, to football it certainly in doesn't exist in britain exactly yeah i mean yeah it's just it's such a perplexing film in so many ways there are so many things that are just like not explained how like uh like his older brother steve who is apparently this like legendary west ham football hooligan but 10 years later is like some super millionaire who like owns a flat and owns a house in fact in bank which would be like worth just like absurd like telephone number amounts of money yeah exactly we've already talked about that like why first of all why would you live in bank secondly Like, okay, there are some people who live in Bank, but, like... No, there aren't houses there. The only house there is Mansion House, and that's the, like, ceremonial residence of the Lord Mayor of the City of London. There are no... That's who his brother is. (laughs) There are no other houses there. The closest I could imagine is, like, there is... There are some houses, like, down towards Blackfriars Bridge, but, like, that's very different. Yeah, I'm just about new, new new conspiracy theory. This guy is actually the Lord Mayor of London, <laughs> and that's how that's how he's made all this money. Um, and it's just like yeah, just like a weird. It completely like glosses over like all these issues of class and stuff, and like how like yeah, I mean you can give up being a fucking West Ham football hooligan, but you're not suddenly going to become like a super successful business. But what from from all the connections you made with like fucking dodgy gas down at the pub, like what? <laughs> like unless he's literally selling coke to the current football hooligan. I mean, you never know. But then also you marry the daughter of a American journalist, you know, storied journalist whose kids go to Harvard. Like, that also really misunderstands the American class system. I've come to this realization that America has a class system and Britain has a caste system. And we just don't want to fucking talk about it in those terms. But I'm just going to say, with the way... <laughs> you don't want to get reincarnated as a fucking Millwall fan. <laughs> be shit. I just got to say, though, that you absolutely... The person who goes, the kind of people, the white people from the Northeast who send their kids to Harvard, like, their kids aren't going to marry ex-football hooligans from London. Like, it's just not happening. Like, and so in that regard, like, it, 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 a lot of weird things have to be thrown together in this, like, like you said, fantasy dream sequence for this to be plausible in any way. Oh, daddy, when we met, it was so romantic. I was in this place they call a boozer. And then, (laughs) and then some guy came up to me and he started calling me a slag. And then this guy came over to him and said, Oi, mate. And then just fucking headbutted him until he was dead. <laughs> anyway, now we're married. <laughs> we found the one house in Bank and we bought it. Yeah. Like, that is the one thing about this film I will say that is extremely realistic is just how much headbutting there is. <laughs> I don't know what it is about British people, but they love headbutting you. I did, like, it's, uh, I've always found it to be, I, I actually, I knew a guy at university who, like, would sometimes get into fights. And he had this philosophy where he would say, always leave with the headbutt because no one fucks with you if you lead with the headbutt. And I was like, I guess that makes sense. Like, if your first resort is to hit someone with your own head, like, where will you go next? Weirdly, headbutting, it hurts a hell of a lot less to headbutt someone than to get headbutted. 
That's yeah. the thing that's really weird about it. Like, if you do it correctly, which most people cannot. Yeah, yeah exactly. But I mean, I strongly recommend not not leading with causing yourself a brain injury. But <laughs> I'm not sure for a lot of the characters in this film, it would make that much difference. There is one thing I wanted to point out that was hilarious to me, though, with regard to Charlie Hunnam's terrible accent. Is it the guy who's in the RAF uniform, uh, the actor Ross McCall? He played Private Liebgott or Sergeant Liebgott in Band of Brothers. And in that film, he spoke with an absolutely dead on Brooklyn Jewish accent. Like my friend, my, my friend whose, whose parents, oh, one, of his, one of his parents was Orthodox Jewish, like who grew up in Borough Park in Brooklyn. Like that's how they talked. That accent, mm. the way Lieb got talked was dead fucking on. I had no idea that guy was Scottish. I had absolutely no idea. Yeah. And, and so I, that was the, one of the weird things to me. And is his that, London accent is very good too. Do you know there's also someone else who was in Band of Brothers who's in this? Who? Fucking Steve, the older brother, was uh, Blythe in Band of Brothers. Oh my God. I didn't realize that. Private Blythe. That's, that's, where, I, that's where I recognized his face from. Yeah. Yeah. That's in the, yeah, incredible. There are so many, there were so many British actors in, uh, in Band of Brothers. And I mean, like they managed to pull off the accents way better than, I mean, periodically you'll have American mm -hmm. actors who can do English accents or British accents well, but it's rare because there's a certain specificity and that like, even if you can coach an American to be able to do like a received pronunciation accent, it's pretty hard to be able to nail like yeah. a, a, a particular regional accent. In the yeah, same I mean, way that, like, there's a lot of a, lo a lot of. Um, I feel like British actors seem to take the accent coaching stuff pretty seriously, and so they'll 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 home in on that stuff. Whereas you will also, I mean, a great example, Johnny Lee Miller. If you ever seen the movie Hackers, he clearly did not work with an accent coach. He even as he a spent all his time with the skateboarding coach. Even even uh, even as a kid, even like a 10, 11, 12 year old kid, when I saw that movie for the first time, I was just like, that guy is not American. Something is really weird about the way that he talks. As, as hackers always say, oh, I'm in you slag. <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved it if like uh, in Band of Brothers with all the British actors, they just got them to do the accents from this film. Just, you know, an amazing scene where they're doing the assault on Foy and uh, fucking Spears has to go and relieve Norman Dyke and he just heroically charges at the SS and begins headbutting them all. <laughs> Come out you fucking cunts! <laughs> Do you fucking want some then? You fucking <laughs> kraut pricks. Which is hilarious to me was uh, there's a scene in Band of Brothers before they jump in where like the one I can't remember the name of the, of the, the trooper but basically he meets a British soldier who's got a Luger from a Nazi that he's like scavenged and oh god yes this is iconic. And he has like a uh, correct me if I'm wrong he's got like a really really strong Scouse accent uh, no, no, it's like it's like Cockney. Oh, it's Cockney. He, he uses um, he speaks to him in rhyming slang, which is why he doesn't understand a word he's saying. Yeah, because they they cannot understand each other. Yeah, because he he gives him the luger to look at, and then he starts walking off trying to show it to one of the other American soldiers. And then I remember this line because it's it was like it was actually very well done. They probably had a British actor do it. It was like, oh, mate, you're having a fucking bath if you think you're half inching that. Um, <laughs> and then he's like he just sort of gets the gist and goes oh okay <laughs> yeah exactly because like I yeah, uh, half inch pinch which means steal yeah and, and that's the thing is bath it, is like a laugh yeah Milo repeating that line now I understand exactly what he's saying but when I watched that series the first time when I was like 14 or 15 and when I uh, when I, I watched it again was in the army before I moved here I absolutely would not have understood a fucking word he was saying in the same way that like when I was a kid, I remember when we've talked about this before, my, my Depeche Mode fandom, when I'd see them on TV, I just remember being like, oh yeah, they have British accents. 
But then listening to them, I recently watched a documentary about them, and I realized that at you know the peak of their their fame, three of them have incredibly strong Essex accents. And one of them has a, a much fancier West London accent, and you can definitely tell like there's a little bit of tension between the the Basildon boys and the guy who's from Acton. And I would never have picked up on that shit before because if that feels like a detail, even the like the specificity of like an accent within London or like the sort of different class accents, you wouldn't really know that unless you'd spent a lot of time here. Like you, it wouldn't it wouldn't immediately occur to you to associate one with the other. And uh, so, in a way, there are certain aspects of Green Street that like. I do feel does dial in pretty well to things. They seem like pretty well researched or like well observed, but there's other things that are completely just out of the, like the best way I could describe it is it feels like the screenplay was written by somebody who'd never been to Britain. And then someone toiled long and hard to try to make it as close as they possibly could. But by the time the movie was optioned, there wasn't as much room to fucking change the script. And so they just had to go with the absurd plot, but try to like make it slightly more realistic. And yeah, just, just season it a bit with some half decent actors mixed in with, it's just so funny to me that like one of the main characters, like they use a British, a British actor for Pete, but just not a British actor. Who's like from that part of the country or whatever. Like there's so many like East end fucking actors in like, like all those guys, like that guy, Mark Warren, who plays the older brother, like he's like in, he, he was always playing East end guys and everything. Like there are so many guys like that who are just in BBC shit all the time who are like not well known internationally at all, but are like kind of, you know, staple actors who could like believably do that accent. But they were like, no, we're going to get this guy who sounds Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and Charlie Hunnam's had a pretty successful career from what I can tell. But I mean, and at the time, I mean, he was kind of like, his career was sort of on the rise, but it made mm. sense casting him in Queer as Folk because, like, he can do a Manchester accent a hell of a lot more than an East End accent. And so, like, yeah. it makes sense a guy from the North do playing a Northern character it makes a little bit less sense having him play like the leader of the football hooligans. But there's a part of me that also wonders, like, how many, how much the other actors had to just like fucking keep themselves from from cracking up listening to this guy just utterly butcher the accent yeah i love it when the leader of the the leader of the west ham firm is like oh i'm fucking west ham till i day man <laughs> exactly well i don't necessarily know if you could watch this and get an accurate understanding of what you might describe as the actual football hooligan culture mm. um i do think that I've been in pubs and pub bathrooms that resemble the ones where this was shot. So oh, yeah. That, Horrible piss-soaked pub toilets, definitely. I, I do think that, yeah, the, the, the location scouting in this film is good enough for you to get a kind of a sense of the feel of the place. Yeah. But I don't necessarily think you're going to learn anything you don't already know by watching this. It's just slightly more accurate than Eurotrip. Yeah. And since this is clearly an American movie centered on an American character, I mean that's about as good as it's going to get. Yeah. The most instructive thing about it, I think, as a film is is not that it portrays reality, but almost that it creates reality. Like, I think that something you need to understand is that there's just, like, lots of, like, unironic like blokes like love this film because of the way it like glamorizes a kind of football hooliganism that never existed and like weirdly uh russians love this film it's like really popular in russia and like for that reason all that shit like stone island and stuff is really popular in russia because they're always wearing that shit in the film like all those kind of like brat like i don't know like kind of sports casual brands and it like this film was huge there and it like massively popularized that and you know what else is huge in russia football hooliganism <laughs> why am i not surprised yeah except there it's just it's pretty much just racism um i feel like britain and russia actually have a strange affinity that uh they're european but not quite and yeah. that like 
there uh <laughs> there's more in common than people want to admit and uh weirdly you know dressing like you've just rolled out of bed and you're st- throwing on stuff that would be damaged if you ironed it uh mm. is definitely a way of life in both russia and the united kingdom yeah and living in an absolute dog shit fucking accommodation somewhere that's probably a fire trap and gonna fall apart also britain and russia well, what was also hilarious to me was uh, as a sort of a coda to this i was living in russia in 2016 when the euro championships were going on and there was a game there was an england russia game which i think they drew or so, i can't remember um and uh and it was infamous because there was a huge fight between all of these like russian ultras and all of these english football hooligans and it was hilarious because like all of the in britain everyone was like can you believe how violent these russian football hooligans are and everyone in russia was like can you believe how violent these english football hooligans are and the football hooligans themselves developed this like weird respect for each other we're like finally we've met our match <laughs> like, like, like finally with the most psychotic football hooligans in europe come up against one another and call it a draw well there it is everybody we have uh we have we have provided another segment of britainology for you so for all of you listening thank you so much for being patreon supporters uh we hope you enjoy this we will do more of them because uh there's a fucking pandemic and both me and my wife's jobs are here so i don't see us leaving anytime soon so i I will continue to discover britain with london voice my wife (laughs) with uh with the assistance of milo the uh the the the, the uh, what's the right word here like uh it's, it's like it's like the magic school bus of britain where you know <laughs> going around you know terrible sick buildings and uh awful cultural exports i think i think we should definitely do one on some like uh terrible 90s and early 2000s tv i think that's oh, yeah, probably hell the yeah. next i mean stage. i definitely want to i feel like we should do one on hot fuzz because that was a movie that actually broke it broke out in america i also think doing one on like adulthood or something like that like terrible made for tv movies um we could actually watch a good british movie like attack the block or something like that you know things along those lines could be mm. fun but long story short we live on a diseased island and i appreciate that you're willing to listen to us talk about it so until next time we're off to go and piss near a plaque <laughs> but near it six inches to the right of it exactly yeah i always piss six inches to the right see you later bye bye